We have been looking at an overview of who we are as a church and um, really just reminding ourselves of that at a time where obviously we're able to gather online but not in, not in person in the way that we want to be able to. It's really helpful, I think, just to come back and just keep right at the forefront of our hearts and of our minds. This is who we are. This is who we're trying to be as Soul Survivor Watford. And I want to talk today about the, the value that we have as a, as a local church of committed community. Put another way, we might say the value that we place on relationship. Or we might talk about, and um, we do talk about an awful lot, the value of family to us. It's all really just different ways of saying the same thing. And I want to try and explain um, briefly, if I can, why is this so important to us? And how do we practice it? What does it look like for us? Um, and really, it goes right back to the being of God himself. One of the things that we see in the scripture is that God is Trinity, that he is one God um, and three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when the early church was wrestling with who God had revealed himself to be, they, they looked at the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they saw the way that they were in relationship with, with one another. Put another way, right at the heart of the being of God is relationship. And what they saw is, um, you know, when we're sometimes a little bit selfish, uh, <clears throat> we are kind of static. And what we do is we make the whole world revolve around us. You've got to cook what I want, do what I want, go where I want. Everyone has to revolve around us. But when we are loving towards another person, we, be we become dynamic, as it were. We move, we revolve around somebody else. And they saw that in the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's as if they were revolving around each other, moving around each other. As the Father loved the Son, who loved the Spirit, who loved the Father, who loved the Spirit, who loved the Son, who loved the Father. And they gave that sense of movement that they saw in the persons of our, our God. Uh, they gave that sense of movement a name, the perichoresis, which means the dance of love or the dance of joy. God is this relationship, this dance right in the heart of who he is. And that reminds me of um, back in the day, when I was a young adult, um, I remember a couple of friends of mine, Harris and Miriam, who were friends from university, they got married and they invited me to their wedding and they were Jewish. I'd never been to a Jewish wedding before, um, but I remember seeing on the order of service that it said at the bottom, after the sort of marriage ceremony, it said there would be spontaneous dancing. Now this concerned me because I can't do dancing when it's planned, let alone when it's planned spontaneity. Um, but there, there came the moment at the end where Harris, the groom, put this glass on the floor and he smashed the glass with his foot. And at that point, everybody leapt up and they all started to do this crazy dance. And, and the dance it really just carried on throughout the whole reception. So they had two dance floors, one for men and one for women. And in between every course, everyone would just pile onto the dance floors and they would, they would start to dance. And <clears throat> I remember sort of standing on the edge of the dance floor with all the, all the men on it. And they, they all linked arms and they were doing this wild dance. And right there in the center, it was my friend Harris. And they, at one point, they got this chair and they put Harris on the chair. And while they were all dancing around him, they threw the chair up in the air and Harris just went, yeah, like this. And then he came back down again and they threw him up again and Harris went, woohoo, like that. And then, and then he came back down again. And I remember there was a point where Harris just disappeared. And then he reappeared on the edge of the dance floor right in front of me. And he grabbed both my hands and he basically threw me 
into the middle of the dance. And before I knew it, I had someone on each arm and I was doing the dance too. Um, and I remember thinking about that when I realized that um, people talk about the dance within God. And if you like, it's a little picture of what happens in the story of the gospel, the good news. It's that there is this beautiful dance going on within God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then God the Son comes to earth. It is, as it were, the bridegroom comes to the edge of the dance floor and he offers us his hand. And to all of us who say yes, what he does is he grabs us and he whips us into the middle of the dance that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is relationship. And what he's in the business of doing is creating a people who reflect him in every way. And it has to be a people because we can only reflect him if he is relationship in relationship with one another. And so when Jesus comes to earth, you, you know, I've always thought if anyone can be a lone ranger, it's Jesus, God himself. But what he really intentionally does is he gathers around himself a community, the disciples, and he forms them into what ultimately becomes the church. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And it's a passage that lots of us are really familiar with. And we're familiar as well with the bit that comes next. But I'm going to read it again anyway, because for me personally, it was only as I was reading and preparing for this, that it really hit me again, the strength of the connection between the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and what follows. Because 3,000 people come to faith. Peter gets up, he preaches the gospel to the crowd. Thousands come to know Jesus. And then it says, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they devote themselves to many things there, but one of those things is fellowship. The way that um, the message puts that is, it says that they commit to, it, it puts it as the life together. They devote themselves to doing life together. And then as it goes on, it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those whom were being saved. So that paints for us a little picture of what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And there's lots of amazing miracles that happen, but I think the one that strikes me as the most amazing from that passage is the fact that suddenly from 3,000 plus strangers, you have what the, I can only describe as a family forms, a family of love and of generosity, of practical support, a family that is defined by the fact that it is together, together in its worship in the temple courts, but also together around the table in each other's homes with glad and sincere hearts. And that language of family, it, it really continues throughout the New Testament. In Paul's letters alone, um, language of family is used to describe who we are 277 times. And it's a family ultimately defined by what Jesus says in John chapter 13, Verse 34, this is how we're meant to be defined. Anyway, in terms of our relationships with each other, he says this, John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, 
everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, these two passages, that Acts 1 and that new commandment of Jesus, they're, they're not um, unfamiliar passages to us. Certainly, if you're part of our church, we've talked about them many, many times over the years. And yet, I think there's a value in coming back to them. And certainly for me, in checking my heart against them and asking myself the question, how am I living this out? And am I doing it? Because it's, uh, it's a lot easier talked about than it is done. And one of the things that I've come to understand, maybe to a greater extent um, in recent years, is that this is what all of us need. The sort of community that is being talked about here is what all of us long for, really. When I was, um, uh, I think I was 21, I just moved back to Watford, and uh, I moved onto the Meriden Estate, just down the road. And I remember being on my bike one evening, cycling home from something at church, and there was this uh, lad who was about 15 years old just sitting on a fence uh, late at night, it's about 10 o'clock at night, and he was just sobbing on this fence. And I'd never seen that before. So I just went over to him and I just said, um, how you doing? Um, and, and he said, I'm not doing good. And I said, do you want to tell me what's going on? And he told me a bit of his story. And his story was that he'd never known his dad and he'd been... Um, raised by his mum, but his mum had died a few years before, so he was being looked after by a social worker. He didn't really want to know much about him. And both his older brothers were in jail. And his girlfriend, who lived just down the road, had just dumped him. And I didn't know what to say when he told me his story, but I've never forgotten, um, all these years later, what he kept saying to me through his tears. He kept saying, I just want to know that someone loves me. I just want to know that someone loves me. And for all the changes that are happening in our culture and for everything that's going on with technology and the fact that, wow, look at the speed of, of change in the last 20 years and that's going to continue. And For all of that, at the heart of every single person, however well we hide it, whether we're 15 or we are 50, there is this cry in us, we want to know someone loves us. Now, the gospel is an invitation to relationship, a relationship with a God who knows us fully and loves us deeply. It's also an invitation to relationship in a family, in a community, to be part of that. And this isn't an, an optional extra. It's not an add-on that you can take or leave um, in the scripture. And so for us as a church, it can't be an optional extra either. It has to be front and centre of who we are. And so um, at Soul Survivor, just in terms of how we try and work this out, one of the things that we do is we, we don't aim for excellence. We'll try and do things as well as we can. And that's, you know, we want to try and do things as well as we can. But what we're aiming for in so much of what we're doing is relationship. That is our goal, to, to have relationships that are like the relationships we've just read about in the book of Acts. And so that we try and work that out in all sorts of ways. Outside of COVID, obviously, uh, we would be meeting together and it would look um, how it used to look. Uh, but what we do when we gather on a Sunday is it wouldn't be about a performance. It would be about coming together as a community, first of all, to glorify him, to be in relationship with him, to express our love for him, but also to devote ourselves to life together. And that doesn't just happen on a Sunday. That's something that happens throughout the week. And again, there are structures that enable that, whether it's connect groups or it's just all the millions of meals that we would eat together. 
I think it's been very rare. I've gathered with other people from Soul Survive Watford and there hasn't been food right at the heart of it. And that's not just because Mike loves food. It is because the Bible loves food and God loves food and it's everywhere. So that's one of the reasons why we focus ourselves so much um, on, on being a family and growing as a family. And then within everything that we've been going through for the last 10 months, it's been so hard to try and be family without all the being together that we're used to in the way that we want. But again, we're trying to do it in every way that we can. So whilst we want to do things well, it's more important to us that we find ways of nurturing relationships. So if excellence was our highest goal, we would pre-record these services. And we obviously don't. We would pre-record things like lighting candles, or though you wouldn't think we would need to pre-record that. That's the sort of level we'd have to get to. We would, we would make everything perfect. We would do a thousand takes of the notices. And then it would come out and it would be slick and it would be polished and it would be, oh my word, isn't that amazing? But do you know what? We don't want to do it like that. We just want to be normal and we want to be real. And isn't that what people are looking for anyway? I can't, sorry to interrupt, but I am slick and polished. <laughs> well, do you know what? I have to say your forehead is very shiny today and that's one of the things I've been noticing on the camera. Um, okay, where was I? Anyway, so, so that's why we try and do what we do in some of the ways that we try and do it. And that's why all the Zooms that have been going on and any excuse we can find together together where it's Mike and I doing so, you know, fitness or it's, or it's whatever else it's been, cooking, upcycling, any excuse we can to continue to do the life together, we want to find it. And for, for me personally, I've been realising, you know, I, t I can tend to think the biggest obstacle to us being a community like this is is that person over there, this person over there is so-and-so in my connect group because they don't love like this and they're not like this. And, and I've realised, you know what, if I really want to be a part of a community like this, I've got to recognise the biggest obstacle to, the, to being this sort of community is the one I see when I look in the mirror every day. And, and it starts with me. And um, the commandment that Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, there's no wriggling away from that. Because the word love in our culture, we use it for so many things. I love a cheeseburger. I love, you know, this song. I love you. Um, that it, it can become almost, it loses its meaning. But Jesus defines love for us because he says, you are to love as I have loved you. And so to, the definition of how we are to treat each other is given to us in the way that Jesus himself treats us. And for me, this is so challenging because it changes um, what my standards are and it changes how I'm meant to relate to other people my, my default tends to be I will love you in the way that you love me so if you're nice to me I'll be nice back that's not the standard Jesus gives us he says I'm to love you in the way that he has loved me and um, there's a few words that for me particularly in these days define that so one is encouragement Jesus is the great encourager. Um, and we see it in the way that he gets beside his, his little crew, his family of disciples, and the way that he calls the best out in them. And he stays with them, even though they're not particularly with it a lot of the time. And he speaks over them truths about who they're going to become. And, and one of the ways that we can encourage people is we can just say to them, this is what I see in you. It's not flattery. It's calling out the good things that we see in another person. Another way we can do it is forgiveness. And I've been finding, as I'm sure you have, there's, because we're all so exhausted and 
many of us quite weary, we're also very sensitive at the moment. And things that perhaps wouldn't bother us normally are kind of really getting on our nerves. And, and uh, we're rubbing each other up the wrong way and things like that. And again, forgiveness, it comes into its own always in life. But in a season like this, to choose to forgive quickly and completely. And something rises up in me, I don't want to forgive. When, when I did something wrong, they held a grudge and they really made me pay and all of that stuff. Well, my standard is not whether they did it for me. My standard is, has he loved me? If I'm to love you as he has loved me, then that's got to be the goal, right? Another one, um, faithfulness. To be faithful to each other, to be committed through the good times, and this is a hard time. And when I see his love and the way he expresses it in his utter, complete faithfulness, the fact that even when I go astray, he comes looking for me. That's how I'm to love you. That's how you're to love me as he's loved us. And what we'll find as we do this is that we become part of a community where healing happens and where wholeness happens. Where it's a place where it's okay, as we've said so many times, not to be okay. Where we find in, in a world that is so fickle and so consumerist and so individualistic, in a world where it feels like we have to put on this perfect front so much of the time, we have to perform. Make sure you can't see what's off screen on my Zoom. It's, it's, it's a world where it's exhausting to have to do that every single day and to pretend we come into a community where we don't have to do that anymore, where we can actually take the masks off and admit we are weak and we struggle and we mess up and some of it's ugly and it makes us feel ashamed, but we found a place where we are loved anyway, not in the sense that those things don't matter because we're on a journey towards healing and holiness but in the sense that we have discovered a God who loves us in this way loves us in our mess loves us in our brokenness and still stays and and still walks with us and still takes us by the hand that we might do that for one another that's the sort of community that I long to be a part of and that's the sort of community that I have found since becoming part of Soul Survivor Watford and we don't do it perfectly and we never will but that's what we aim for. The other thing that we'll find as we do this is that others will join because others are looking for this and we're living in a world that is dying in loneliness. There is nothing more attractive in a world like this than a community of people who love each other in this way. And as I read the scripture and as we talk about this, this for me personally chimes with my spirit and I wouldn't have ever thought that when I first came. Relationally, I was a bit shut down. Um, naturally, I'm probably more goal-orientated than I am people-orientated. When Mike and I sit down to write something together, it does my head in because he just wants to spend the whole time relating and talking and talking about my kids and I actually want to achieve things. Um, but in the last few years, I've just begun to discover this is what we're made for. And now I see it, I don't want to go for anything else. I don't want to settle for anything less. One of my favorite um, services, and I finished with this, that we've had in the last couple of years, for me was, um, it was the dedication service that we had when it happened to be the one that my son Caleb was dedicated at. And if you've been part of the church, you'll know that Caleb um, was born with a genetic disorder. And so he had to have a big heart operation when he was just one month old. And then he was in hospital for another month recovering. And so for quite a long time, Beth and I were really out of action. Just everything was going into just looking after Caleb and our other boys. 
and I couldn't give a lot to the church. And what, what that for me has always been sort of how I get acceptance by making a contribution. What I encountered was just constant kindness and people praying for us and people dropping meals off for night after night after night and people inquiring, people asking. And, and, and for, for, for me to be on the receiving end of that for such a long period of time, it was incredibly healing. I found it an excruciatingly hard time, but also bizarrely, because it was in this family of love and security where I knew I could just be a mess and, and, I, and people weren't gonna walk away from me. Because of that, there was this healing that came through as well. And I remember it was a year virtually to the day <clears throat> that we had the dedication service. And it was just this glorious, wonderful, crazy celebration. Um, there were people getting baptized who'd given their lives to Jesus. There were a whole load of babies who were either being baptized or were being dedicated. We were there um, with our extended family as well as part of that. <clears throat> and I remember just, just being a part of this community and feeling, where else would I want to be? And then at the end of the service, uh, a guy who is part of our recovery group, um, it's a group for people who are recovering from addictions, he came up to me and he said, oh, he was just really excited. And he said, Andy, I've just got a new motorbike. I'd love it if you would just come and pray for the motorbike. And so I could see this was obviously, this has really meant a lot to him. And I, I said, okay, I'd, I'd love to. So the two of us went out the back of the fire escape, just behind where I'm sitting now. And I, I knew his story. He'd become a Christian a number of years before. Uh, he joined the recovery group. And through that, he'd found um, freedom from his addictions. And he'd been free for, for a, a number of years. And as he was standing there with the bike, he just couldn't contain himself. He just kept saying, I'd never, if you'd asked me a few years ago, if I'd be in this position of having this motorbike, it just would have been impossible for me. And then he talked about what God had done in his life. And he said, without this church, it would never have happened. And I remember just as we'd been dedicating the babies, as part of that, we say, what name have you given this baby? In? And so I said, have you given the bike a name? And he had. And he named the bike. And I said, what does it mean to you? And he just said, freedom. And we prayed for the bike. And I prayed for him. And then I walked off back to, to our house where we had all the family there for a party with Caleb. And I still remember walking down the street back to my house, just thinking to myself, I've never been part of a community like this where it's, it's, it's messy, yes, and it's not perfect, absolutely, but it is, it is glorious. Sorry. And I just thought, if I'm going to spend my life following Jesus, I want to spend my life building a church that is like this, that has this, as a priority, and what I, what I mean by this is relationships that reflect the way that God loves us, committed, loving, forgiving, faithful, joyful. This is who we are, it's part of our core, it's who we aspire to be, because we'll always do it imperfectly, so it will always be a journey. And what we want to do is in any way that we can, we want to, in the years ahead, plant, support, cheer on, and encourage churches that have this right at the heart of who they are as well.